Hello everyone, my name is Luke. And my name is Eric. And you're very welcome to the very first episode of the Political Incorrectors podcast. Yes, welcome. Um, and today we're going to be talking about many different issues. One of those issues being, of course, government formation. Yes, our, our new historic government. We're going to be analysing it and talking about the programme for government. And we're going to look at some of your feedback that we collected through Instagram. And we're going to respond to that too. So I hope you're looking forward to it because I am and I know Eric is too. Big time, big time. <laughs> uh, I think this is a monumental moment for both Luke and I. Um, it's something that we've never done before, a podcast. So it's something that's very new and fresh. Uh, so I'm hoping to do uh, to not only talk about these political issues that we will be speaking of today and in the future, but to represent the voice of the youth, because we feel there's no real Irish political podcast out there. I don't know, unless you've seen one. Okay. Abs- no, well, there's, yeah, like, as Eric said, this is something we spoke about for nearly two years now to start a podcast, to talk about politics through, like, a youth lens and an Irish lens. And look, there are political podcasts out there, but a lot of them are sort of partisan. You know, it's it's a socialist podcast and they look at things through a socialist lens. Yeah. Whereas I think for us, we want to kind of look at it as objectively as possible, yeah. but also to areas of hypocrisy yeah. out there, which, Big and time. there is on all sides of Irish, but not just who you might think there's yeah. hypocrisy. I won't name them, <laughs> but uh, we won't name them. We don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> yeah, we're just, look, common sense approach yeah, to talking about it. this. And also, we want to make this um, digestible hmm. for young people yeah. because Irish politics isn't sexy. Like, no. Like UK politics or American politics is. It really isn't. But it's important. And these people have a direct impact and effect on our lives. So of course we should know about them. And of course we should take interest in them. So I think if there's one thing we can do, Eric, it's uh, make Irish politics interesting for Irish young people. That's it. And that's the goal. And we we want to ensure that you all get that message, especially from the first episode. As Luke said, Irish politics is somewhat boring. I I speak to friends about it and they always tell me that, oh, I'm interested in America or or in England, but here in Ireland, I'm not. So here we want to make Irish politics to a certain extent interesting so you can understand what's happening and how political matters here affect you. Because in one way or another, whether you're aware of it or not, it will affect you. (laughs) Absolutely. So do you want to jump in now to government formation and we can start talking about the new government? Yeah, we might as well go straight ahead. Yes. Um, I suppose um, we can start back a couple of months ago at the start of the year with the general election. Um, And I think the outcome was, like it took everyone by surprise because Sinn Féin did so well. Technically, they won the election. Um, They won 37 seats. Um, No one saw that coming, a Sinn Féin victory. Yeah, and it was a massive shock, Luke. I think it was a huge shock, not only for politics here in Ireland, but for people generally. People uh, were having conversations about it. I remember being in Galway, of course, for university and walking into shops and having old people speak about it, having young people speak about it. So it was something that was huge um, and it completely shaked the landscape here in Ireland. But as you said, I think the interesting point is technically Sinn Féin won the election. Democratically, they quote unquote won the election. Mm -hmm. But I think where the issue kind of arose was when it came to numbers and making up a government, a stable government uh, via the Sinn Féin route. And they weren't able to do that. And I think Mary Lou and many other Sinn Féin representatives spoke out about the fact that they were excluded from the government, Mm -hmm. even though that they technically, quote unquote, won Mm -hmm. the election. So what do you think on on that point, of that point? Yeah, absolutely. Look, to say that you you won an election, maybe it might be useful just for the listener to kind of talk through the seats that were won. Of course. So Fianna Fáil won 37 seats, Sinn Féin won 37 seats, Fine Gael won 35, Green Labour 6 and Social Democrats 6. Yeah. 
So it's not quite a victory. I mean, it wasn't, they didn't win a majority or anything. It's very, it's very close and very split. Um, but to suggest then that you won 37 seats when, when Fianna Fáil won 37 and Fine Gael won 35, to suggest that you have the kind of the right to enter government just because you won that amount of seats, it, it doesn't mean that you necessarily get to enter government straight away because that's the kind of the joys of our democracy, of our parliamentary democracy, is that we as the electorate in our constituencies we elect our TDs um, and they come from uh, various different parties. But then in the doll, the doll decides how to form a government. You're spot on there. And I'm, I'm so glad that you pointed out the system here in Ireland. I think many people who protested against mm. the government that was formed need to remember that we're, we're living in a country in which the political system is a parliamentary democracy. Mm. It's a representative democracy. So the government have to form, uh, sorry, the, the, the parliament of the country have to form the government. Mm. And uh, when it comes to pragmatism, it was never feasible for any party to stand up on, in an entitled way say that we need to be in government. Mm. Uh, that's not the way to go. Although the argument is to a certain extent valid, mm. although it was a massive shakeup for people, that shakeup does not necessarily justify an argument that you must be in government. So I, I'm so glad that we, we spoke of that mm. so people can actually understand our points of view when it comes to this issue. Absolutely, yeah. Our system, I mean, I think if you go on Twitter or you go on, you know, <laughs> even on, I see it on TikTok, there's these sort of memes and content saying, oh, Leo Varadkar elected on the seventh count or Mihal Martin elected on the 11th count. Mm. Mary Lou, our Taoiseach, elected on the first count. And it's kind of, like that messaging it gets across to people yeah. and it's like oh here's Sinn Féin candidates and politicians Pierre Stardy etc yeah. elected on the first count and Michal Martin is Taoiseach mm-hmm. and he got elected on the 11th count mm-hmm. that's an overly simplistic view undoubtedly because like again we're, we live in a parliamentary democracy but we also have and this is what don't I mean we're not taught this so we don't understand it yeah. but our electoral system is a you know the proportional rep- proportional representative re- representation single transferable vote. Yeah. So that means that five people are elected. So Mary Lou ran. Okay, no, let's take Dublin West, yeah. Leo Varadkar's constituency, right? Leo Varadkar ran, and he he but he ran with a running mate, exactly. so another yeah. Finnegale candidate. Yeah. So obviously he's not going to win yeah. outright yeah. when the Sinn Fein candidate who topped the poll ran. Exactly. You know, so it's it's. This overly simplistic view that these people try and peddle that kind of irritates me because we need people to understand our system, not to be kind of manipulated to believe one narrative. Exactly. Look, you're spot on there. And I think when people do not understand these things, it's easy for but in a manipulative way, convolute the narrative so young people can hop on board when it mm-hmm. comes to certain things and so they can draw young people in. And I think it was done a lot during the election. And I'm glad that this podcast is here so we can educate people and let people know how systems actually are mm. and let share our, our point of view in a nuanced way. We're not partisan hacks. We don't mm. owe allegiance to any political flag. So we're going to speak <laughs> as you're supposed to speak about certain, uh, certain issues and uh, about things like these. But moving on to this, this issue of the government, uh, of course, uh, a new government was formed recently and Sinn Féin were excluded from the government, uh, quote-unquote excluded from the government. <laughs> um, and many people had many different views about it. I think there was a diverse range of opinions and point of views when it comes to the government. What was your point of view? How do you feel about the government being formed? Yeah, well, look, I, I suppose to take a little step back, it took some time. It took a long time to form a government. It was only formed two weeks ago um, and the election was back at the start of the year. Um, the narrative from, from definitely Fine Gael anyway, but Fianna Fáil as well, they kind of said that they want to allow Sinn Féin the chance to form a government, a left-wing government of change, like the electorate said they wanted to. In mm-hmm. fairness, they were given that chance 
and it didn't work out. And look, you can criticize them for not doing anything. Um, I don't think it's that simple because it was would have been very hard for them because it would need you need to get like the Labour Party, the Green Party, um, loads of independents. And are, there's, I think there's there's 19 independents in the doll. <laughs> Uh, than a couple from smaller parties. You need to get them all on, on board. And I mean, their perspectives and their views on different things are so hodgepodge and mm. one extreme to the next that it would have been a really difficult task. Yeah. Um, but I suppose their, Sinn Féin's criticism was that Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil didn't facilitate them. Mm. Yeah. Um, and just hopping back for a second, you know, on the point that we mentioned regarding Sinn Féin, uh, at first, I did feel somewhat skeptical about them not being in the government because this whole political wave of change that people spoke of definitely hit me. And I felt like Sinn Féin being in government would represent that to mm. a certain extent. But then when you break it down to the bread and butter, when you look at the actual actual technical political aspects mm. of everything going on, you will see that to be in government, you need the numbers. And as you said, it wasn't very possible to have a government quote left-wing government mm. entirely left-wing government uh, as they call it it's a coin term <laughs> mm. uh, with how things transpired mm. so i think that is something that is worth kind of pointing out and letting people know um so we have a government now <laughs> we do yeah at last it, it took some time it did, it did. <laughs> um yeah so two weeks ago um i think it took the whole country by surprise yeah. when Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil and the green party mm agreed to form a historic government yeah. um, with a big old program for government full of promises and loads of things um, and an agreement for Michal Martin, like a rotating Taoiseach, to be Taoiseach for two and a half years yeah. and Leo Varadkar to be Taoiseach for two and a half, half years. Kind of like, um, now I don't play football, but in primary school when everyone got to go up being captain at lunchtime, <laughs> it's kind of what it was like. Exactly. Um, but that's what we have now. Yeah. And the Green Party are in there too. Mm. So we have... A majority government yeah. with those parties. What do you think about that, Eric? It was a bit of a shock. Uh, I think it was a bit of a a, a diverse mesh <laughs> of three different parties. Of course, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, the kind of stereotypical argument is that they're the same. <laughs> you know, um, so Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil being in government is nothing really new, mm. but the Greens being in government is new. And I think something that people overlook when they critique this government is the fact that we have a program for government mm. that is incredibly green. I don't think Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil individually uh, as a conjoined unit would have come up with that program. Mm. For, so you can clearly see the green influences. So I think it is a monumental moment for Irish politics. Um, but just breaking down the program, I think there are things about the, uh, abolishing direct provision, which is something that many activists have been advocating for. 10% um, of the transport budget is going to go towards uh, cycling infrastructure. Mm. Another 10% towards um, um, infrastructure when it comes to people walking and whatnot. So mm. these new things, uh, innovative things, would not have been seen in the past mm -hmm. and they're being seen now and when it comes to climate we have that you know influence when it comes to direct provision we have that influence so going forward i think it's definitely a perspective thing it's something to look at and smile mm -hmm. so uh, we have to just see if they implement it i think that's all but me personally i know i've seen a lot of cr criticism i think the radical branch of the green party mm -hmm. were very critical about it but then again 75 percent of uh, people in the green party actually voted to go into, into the government so we have to wait and see i think yeah yeah <laughs> Absolutely. Just, I wanted to kind of take a step back there. Mm. I, and we kind of brush over the fact that mm. Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are in government together. Mm. Like, these are the two big parties that have dominated Irish political history since the foundation of the state. Mm. And I suppose it kind of comes back to, you know, the civil war politics yeah. of De Valera on one side, yeah. Michael Collins on one side. They've now come together, which yeah. is historic in itself. And that's going to change the Irish political landscape forever. So I think that should be stated as well. Yeah. Um, you could argue that maybe in the last doll, when there was like a 
confident not to get into it, but the confidence is supply uh confidence is supply arrangement yeah. when uh, basically Fianna Fáil supported the Finnegal minority government. But anyway, we won't get into that. <laughs> let's let's stick on the programme yeah. for government. Yes, this is a very green um programme for government. There was a, I can't remember his name, some I think he was from Belgium, some Green Party veteran from Belgium mm. who said this was the greenest document he's ever seen. Wow. Um and it is. I mean, to suggest, like you said, mm. if this was just Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil to get into a room, it would not be that green, and that's a fact. Yeah. Um, so we should definitely hold on to that. Definitely. And the fact that direct provision, as you said, is in there as well. There's lots of good things in this document. Mm. It's not as bad as some of the more radical members of mm. the political discussion groups out there would have said. Mm. Like, this is the most conservative government in the history of the state. Mm. Very funny-looking conservative government now, yeah. if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, to be honest, uh, in fairness to the radicals, <laughs> it is uh, very important, I think, to have those branches, especially in Irish politics, mm-hmm. just for checks and balances. Um, I think if uh, that radical branch in the Green Party with the likes of Sir McHugh uh, were not th- was not there, uh, who knows? Maybe this would not have been as green as, mm-hmm. as a Green Party. The moderates would have been scared to bring it back to the party, mm-hmm. knowing that the radical poli- political figureheads in the party would be against it. So I think it's good to have that brand there. But also, same with the, with the moderates. You have two uh, divergent kind of opinions that mm. are so contrary and opposite. And it's really good to try and just apply common sense and step in the middle and see what's good for one side, what's good for both mm-hmm. sides. And if it's good for both sides, it's usually good to a certain extent. Absolutely. So we need to be objective with how we view it. And the program, as you said, as the Green Party veteran in Belgium said, is incredible. Mm. It is so, so good. When I first read it, I didn't believe it. It was surreal to mm. see direct provision, uh, the politicians pledging to abol- abolish that, mm. and uh, the the greenery in the in the program also. So it's something that I think is positive and something that people should be happy with, in my opinion. Absolutely, yeah. And so you kind of said something there as well at the start of that point that you know would this document be as radical as it is if it wasn't for the radical members of the Green Party? And I think there like there's a tendency to sort of push them aside as you know crazies. Mm communists socialists but they they should be applauded as well because they've changed their party in a way as well over the past couple of years the green party has changed so much Mm. to what it was membership has really really increased and um i would say like fair play to those young members of the green party and a lot of them are a lot of them are upset now disappointed that their party's gone into government with finnegan and fianna fall but what i'd say to them is be proud of what you've done because Mm. you've pushed your party forward to get this general election result Mm. Um, and now you've put this into a program for government and now you have a chance to make solid steps towards a greener Ireland. So I'd say fair play to you. Yeah. Amazing. Exactly. I think they, they deserve a... <laughs> yes, well done, Green Party <laughs> radicals. <laughs> Upstairs to the queue. <laughs> um, but interestingly enough, Luke, um, two days ago, we put out a poll on Instagram, on our Instagram page, which is politicals underscore correct incorrectors, political underscore incorrectors please follow us if you haven't already (laughs) and we ask if people are happy with how the new government looks and have a guess have a guess what the numbers are like oh as if i haven't seen them now but uh, (laughs) i would say that people are very pragmatic and that by a very slim margin people think that this is a good government oh no oh no look you couldn't be further from the truth um so 26 percent of people were okay with the government they were happy with the government while 74 a whopping 74 percent people want to see represented at, in the government uh issues that we haven't seen represented in the government um so i think it, it didn't surprise me at first mm-hmm. but at the same time thinking about it now especially after the conversation we've had thus far 
sort of sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Um, and obviously young people voted overwhelmingly for, for Sinn Féin and for that kind of left-wing change, and they probably would have transferred to parties like People Before Profit mm. and, you know, those more radical left-wing parties. Mm. And when you vote for that and you get Sinn Féin, or sorry, <laughs> when you get Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, yeah. you, understandably, you can be disappointed. Yeah. But I think what we need to do is look at this doll, mm. look at the seat numbers we have. Yeah. There, it was very hard for Sinn Féin to go into government because mm. the numbers just weren't there for them to form a left-wing government. Yeah. What was said is that, you know, either Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael needed to facilitate Sinn Féin to go into government. Mm. Now, I think we just need to look at the rhetoric that Sinn Féin had about this government to say that it was going to be one of the most conservative governments in the history of the state and to say we have halted change. Okay, so the Green Party have halted change. Yet... Mary Lou MacDonald was willing to go into government with Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil or the both of them. Mm-hmm. So are you angry that the Green Party are halting change or are you angry that you're not there to be in that government? Yeah. And then if you were there, what makes that change when the Green, you know, mm. what makes that change when you're there? But when the Greens are there, it's not change. Yeah. Because I think acknowledge the service the Green Party have done the country here mm-hmm. in stepping forward and putting their radical footprints foot, footprints fingerprints <laughs> handprints on this program for government because yeah. this isn't i mean look at this program for government mm. pick out the good parts of it yeah. let's go with this let's support this government because mm. this can be really good and that's 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 my point of view yeah. and, and look uh, just to say as well i i, I understand the disappointment that they're not there yeah. the Sinn Féin aren't in government but i think Let's just just go with this and see yeah. how it goes. Honestly speaking, though, um, I did I, I immediately. Uh, sorry, initially I did understand their argument about mm-hmm. government, but as you said, that was an impeccable point, Luke, about how them being in government. I'm sure in their eyes would have been the chain that they were seeking, mm-hmm. but the Green Party being in government makes them some sort of a political sellout party, which is wrong fundamentally. And I think that really encompasses the political hypocrisy mm-hmm. that can be found in parties sometimes. So we need to go with it. I think the program for government is something that is positive. Positive. We hold the government to account for their la- actions or lack thereof when it mm. comes to implementing things that are found in the program. But we go with it. Uh, so I think I'm happy enough with the program. Uh, we also put out another question, though, to our fan base <laughs> about the program. And we asked a pretty valid question, something that has been heavily discussed in political circles over the past while. And that is, do you think the government will stand the test of time? 78% of people said no. 22% of people said yes. Mm. So I think this is more valid than the last one mm-hmm. uh, because it's such a diverse um, uh, fruit salad. <laughs> yeah. Many different parties. <laughs> Excuse my figurative, figurative <laughs> tendencies. <laughs> but, uh, you know, three different parties. The Green Party are very different in many ways. Mm-hmm. Civil war politics has come to an end, as you said. Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil have come together. And with the confidence and supply uh, agreement, they were at each other's necks yeah. next, constantly. Mm-hmm. So now that they're in a government, who knows what it's going to be like. So... I understand. I understand this. Mm. This uh, the result from this poll. What do you think? Yeah. Look, um, I was surprised that it was that much. To be honest, that that many people said no. Um, I don't. I, I really don't like to make predictions on this like grand scale. Mm. Um, I think if we look back to the last general election, the last doll when that government minority government was formed, um, people said that this government isn't going to last a year, mm. and it lasted the full term. lasted five years. Mm. Um, so who knows? Yeah. Um, it's it, this government by, government by nature is so different mm. that it's it's just so so tough to know. Mm. Um, I see so many scenarios of it falling apart, mm. and we only need to look at events this week to see how volatile 
government is. Um, you know, with the mess that was in Fianna Fáil this week, and we might talk about that later. Um, but also, if what I see happening potentially is the Green Party walking out because their demands and their requests aren't met. Yeah. And I think that would be a very legitimate reason for a government to fall. Mm. Um, otherwise, to be honest, I see Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil sticking in it, mm. particularly because Fianna Fáil are doing really badly in the polls yeah. and in popularity lately. Mm. So I think they'd be very worried about their future. Yeah. And if they were to walk out now, I think they'd probably be slated. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, uh, just something that popped to mind when you popped in my mind as soon as you said that was a, a, an episode of This Week in Politics. Two weeks ago, I was watching it and Michael Healy Ray was on. <laughs> and he was criticizing the program. He was saying that the greenery and the green aspects of the program were very anti agriculturist mm. anti-farmer. Uh, and I think that just reminded me about how lucky we are to have such a program for government because... If the likes of him, with due respect to him, were in government, he wouldn't be for those green policies. Mm. So the fact that we have them goes to show that we're making we're making a, a positive change, a progressive step towards hopefully an Ireland that prioritizes green initiatives and uh, abolishing things like direct provision and bettering mm. society at large. And we also we put out another question to the people and we asked what the biggest issue is for them that they'd like the government to address. And we got a, a, a plethora of answers, a wide range of answers that were very diverse. So we're going to address climate change first because I think thus far we talked about the green aspects of the for government. So this will be a, an easier issue to mm-hmm. address uh, for us because we can ease right into it because we spoke a lot about mm-hmm. it already. So what do you think of climate change and, and the government addressing it? What would you like to see? Mm. Yeah, well, look, um, obviously we need to take climate action very seriously because, I mean, the world's burning and it's going to end soon mm-hmm. if we don't cop ourselves on. Mm-hmm. Out of all the European countries we're probably one of the ones doing the worst. So Ireland needs to cop ourselves on and do it. Mm. Um, what needs to happen? Um, well, they've done most of what needs to happen. They've committed to do a lot of what needs to happen. Before, when these negotiations started, the Green Party said, we need to get to a 7% carbon emission re- reduction each year mm. if we're going to get there. That was the end line. And if we didn't get that, we're not, we're not going into government. Mm. And rightly so, that's what they said. People in Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil said, that's impossible to happen. They've agreed to it now yeah. because we, they know we need to do it. Mm. And um, I suppose one of the biggest criticisms amongst the sort of more radical Greens is that this document doesn't take climate action seriously enough. Do you think it does? Uh, As someone who wants to see radical change when it comes to climate change, I think uh, when it comes to the reduction in carbon emissions, it doesn't actually... um, A lot of things that many green organisations have Mm. said is necessary from governments, but the 7% figure is something that would not have been achieved if not for the Green Party. Mm -hmm. And if the Green Party weren't there, imagine how much lower it would be. So I think we need to be optimistic Mm -hmm. when it comes to things like that. It isn't the perfect thing when it comes to climate change, but it's the next best best Mm -hmm. thing in this context right now. So... In terms of climate change, I'm pretty happy when it comes to some of the things. Again, cycling infrastructure, mm-hmm. uh, 10% of the transport budget mm-hmm. is going to go towards that and other actions that were taken. So I, I think we need to be optimistic. Mm-hmm. By 2030 also, there's going to be a ban in all diesel cars that are imported. So mm-hmm. that's there's going, to be a prohibi- prohibi- there's going to be prohibition when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. So that's not going to happen. So we need to be optimistic and move forward and advocate and campaign and protest mm-hmm. for more change. So more positive changes are met in this area. Absolutely. And I actually just wanted to, because this is one of the things I've seen the most of on social media is that this doesn't take climate action seriously enough. And maybe it doesn't meet what the NGOs and stuff want. But can I just, I I just took down some of the main points in the program for government on climate action, just to read out how 
how good this is. So we mentioned the 7% reduction, and that would mean by 2030, in the next decade, that would be a 51% reduction in carbon emissions, which is huge. That's massive. Like, What else is there? The electrification of transport, electric cars, buses by 2030, they're going to ban the registration of petrol cars and diesel cars by 2030, which again is huge. Um, what else is there? There's new strategies to plant forests across our country. Forests are great. Forests are very green things. Um, transforming organic farming, making farming more sustainable, that needs to happen. Taking farming out of the hands of sort of beef barns and making it less industrial and l- less of a pollutant than, b- than before. Um, as well as that, every minister in their department will have to have climate action as one of their key platforms, which is very good. So it's a cross-government approach to making things more green. And they're going to end issuing licenses for gas exploration and extraction. And they're going to promise not to, to pr- promise not to support the implementation of frack grass, fracked gas again, phase out single-use plastics and introduce a deposit and return scheme for plastic bottles and aluminum cans. And they're going to have a citizen assembly, citizens' assembly on biodiversity. That's a lot of stuff, yeah. um, definitely. Is it what we need to... Is it, will it satisfy radical climate activists? I hope it will, because that's more than was there before. Yeah. And um, let's go with it. Let's yeah. support that. And as you said, we have a chance to push from the outside. Mm. And we have green members of government there who lobby for that as well. Yeah. So it's not the end of the world. Definitely not. Definitely. The world will, will hopefully have an impact on not ending the world with this program for government. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I think uh, with this, with all political issues there usually is a steady pace when it comes to addressing them. But with climate change, there's just that bit of extra urgency Mm -hmm. because of how urgent the issue is. But with this program for government, it's certainly a step in the right direction and we should accept all steps in the right direction, no matter how big a stride it is or how small a step it is, because we're going in the right direction and hopefully we can push the government so Mm -hmm. they can do more, as we stated. Another issue, though, by one of the people that replied to our question was uh, mental health. And this was brought up by... James underscore OD, 12. <laughs> Great username, James. <laughs> uh, I guess. <laughs> and the, the reason why I didn't shout out people for climate change is because so many different people mm. mentioned it. So we'd be here for a while. <laughs> Fair um, I think this is an issue, Luke, that is very passionate to you and I. Mm. Because we, Luke and I, actually held a mental health event in Longford uh, in 2019 called Mohu. Um, so Mohu is Irish for... Um, expression expression <laughs> I nearly forgot <laughs> uh, expression and it was a great event I like to think that mm-hmm. it was a massive uh, success we wanted to emphasize the importance of expressing yourself when it comes to mental health so we're familiar to dem- mm-hmm. the demands when it comes to mental health and this program for government um, it actually replaced the vision for change it, that expired in 2016 and now there's a 10 year sort of uh, uh, program that was laid out by government uh, regarding mental health uh, and they've they called for they've called for tangible changes when it comes to the issue. So hopefully that is implemented. Mm-hmm. We undoubtedly need to see more of a step up from our government in regards to mental health. I don't think anything adequate has been done thus mm-hmm. far on this issue. It's something that is the issue of our time, our generation. I believe this is a bar maybe climate change. Our issue, this is the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. It's taking a lot of lives. It's ruining a lot of families, wrecking a lot of homes. So we need to see more people doing more things politically mm. to address this issue. What do you think of this generally in a governmental context? Absolutely. Health? I mean, mental health, as you said, is one of the biggest problems in our society, and it still is. And I suppose over the last few years, it's become a buzzword and something that's spoken about on radio, on TV, mm. every day. Yeah. And that's a really good thing. Mm. But it kind of... It kind of helps us 
it kind of makes us forget how important it is because it's spoke about so often. And it can make it look like that we've clicked our fingers and everything's okay now because we talk about mental health. But, and I'm no expert in mental health, neither of us are. But, (laughs) beep. (laughs) But if we talk to professionals in the mental health scene and we just hear the stories, the horror stories of people waiting on waiting lists to get the help they need when it comes to mental health, that can't happen and we can't let that happen and I mean I I don't know what the government this they've pledged to do in this program for government but I hope that they they're optimistic Mm. Uh, the new minister for mental health and older people is Mary Butler who's Mm. from Fianna Fáil so the political incorrectors podcast wishes her well Mm. but we'd say Mary get the finger out and support a bit of mental health you know put some funding in there um meant like a waiting list for mental health supports not on. Yeah. There shouldn't be long waiting lists for mental health supports. It's ridiculous. Mm. So um, let's fund this issue and let's communicate what we're doing. Yeah, totally agree. Definitely. I, I completely concur. And there's a point I want to bring up on regards to mental health, in regards to waiting lists. People shouldn't have to be going to such you know, independent platforms to talk to a psychologist about their mental health. They shouldn't have to be paid. Well, you know, it should. What would I put this? the state should be able to have the resources there and have the resources quick yeah. and instead of waiting two or three months to yeah. talk to a psychiatrist or something instead mm-hmm. of having to go to an independent firm yeah. uh, either pay or it's a, char- a charitable firm mm. they shouldn't have to be doing it mm. makes no sense that's, that's James Clark by the way our fantastic producer Ooh. who's there good man James no better man James. <laughs> um, but yeah that's a, that's a really fantastic point I mean it's, it's at the stage in, in the country where there's so many charities and groups doing amazing work yeah, providing these services um, but they, they shouldn't have to, like, because our government should have those services and supports readily available. Yeah. Everyone should know about them, yeah. and they should know that if they go there, they'll get help mm. very quickly. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, that's just not the case at the minute, no. and it shouldn't be the case. I concur with everything uh, both of you said. I think this is a, a huge, humongous issue that we need to address before it becomes uh, catastrophically worse, because that's what happens in uh, mental health. I think the paradoxical thing when it comes to waiting lists, is the fact that you're waiting. As, and as people are waiting, uh, sometimes their mental state is getting worse. Mm. So it, it doesn't really make sense. People need to intervene early, and there need to be the resources, governmental resources there to intervene mm. early. I think mental health is one of the issues where I feel government needs to be big. <laughs> they need to be really be involved mm. with that issue. Absolutely. So upcoming years. Uh, another issue uh, that was raised, Luke, an interesting one, was raised by the underscore fire underscore spits. And, and another great name. Um, I, I really like the username. <laughs> and he said that all drugs should be decriminalized and legalized. When this issue is usually raised, it's usually marijuana. People say mm. cannabis should be legalized. It's a massive talking point mm-hmm. all across the world. In America, I know it's very hot and heavy there too. And people are talking about it here in Ireland. Uh, but in terms of the legalization of all drugs, yeah. what do you think about that, Luke? Yeah. Well, look, I think when we talk about this topic... You need to separate the decriminalization yeah. because my opinion on the matter is that someone who has a drug problem mm. or someone who's addicted to drugs, they're not a criminal. Um, a heroin addict isn't a criminal, I don't think. Um, I know they aren't a criminal yeah. because they have a problem. It's, it's a medical issue. Yeah. So we shouldn't treat someone who has a medical issue, an addiction, as a criminal. Yeah. We should treat them as a patient. So... Absolutely, I think we should decriminalize all drugs mm. for users because we shouldn't criminalize drug users. We should help them and support them and the government needs to intervene to support yeah. them. Mm. But, of course, we shouldn't support 
drug dealers and people who benefit from the, pre- the proceeds of selling drugs mm. and dealing drugs on a national and international basis. Definitely not. What do you think about it? Yeah, I think... Um I'd agree. I think it's not a criminal issue at all. And the problem, I think the trend we see when drugs are criminalized is that the dark world becomes that bit stronger. Mm. Uh, in the 30s, I believe, prohibition uh, was a kind of policy in America where uh, the government and many governmental officials went after the mafia because they were selling alcohol and alcohol was illegal. Mm. Um, and when you make certain things illegal, then the dark world becomes more stronger. They become more firm in their approach to sell illegal substances. So Anytime you decriminalize, sorry, anytime you criminalize, you're in, in, you are then subsequently creating criminals. Mm. It's the point I was trying to make, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think that is wrong. And I think we need to have a holistic approach when, mm-hmm. we, uh, when we deal with this, with this issue. Many people that are addicted are addicted because of circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we need to start thinking in a holistic way, in a way that uh, is inundated with empathy. I think that is really important when mm-hmm. it comes to this problem. It needs to be dealt with as a, as a health problem rather than a criminal problem. Uh, I think on the topic of decriminalizing, all drugs, or at least legalizing all drugs. You have drugs that are class A drugs. And with those drugs, sometimes you can find things and substances within them which are not necessarily good for the human body. (laughs) So I I don't necessarily think legalizing all drugs or decriminalizing all drugs is right. I think legalizing. I think you the distinction you made was really good. Mm -hmm. So legalizing all drugs isn't necessarily the answer. But legalizing some like cannabis, I think... It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, the, our producer James actually said earlier on today when we discussed this, it's a plant. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's holistic. I think when you look at things like um, alcohol, that, according to many studies, have done more damage to, to human beings mm-hmm. than cannabis. So yeah. I think we need to start talking about this in a nuanced way rather than simply thinking that because of this, it's bad. Yeah. You know, I think we need to get away from that traditional idea that drugs are bad, they're terrible, mm-hmm. and start talking about it and breaking down, you know, the factors and the components that make up the conversation. Um, so that's my opinion on it. Definitely, yeah. Look, um, like when it comes to the, the legalization of class A drugs, it's probably a conversation that we're definitely not qualified to talk about. <laughs> and it's one that it's, it's such a massive issue. But I mean, legalizing cannabis, I 100% agree with because... It just makes sense. Yeah. Take it out of the hands of criminals. Um, and actually, cannabis in Ireland is obviously in the hands of criminals, but it's also um, Blind Boy. You, you know Blind Boy, the course, rubber yeah. band that he spoke about this recently, that it's actually, it's grown by people who have been human tra- hu- humanly trafficked mm. into the country um, and the conditions that they're yeah. worked in are, are really tough. So look, let's just imagine that we legalize cannabis it's regulated. Mm. It, it, we make sure it's good quality, mm. and we tax it. Everyone benefits, mm. and it's it, that's not a big deal. So let's do it. Like your man um, Tony Kyo. Do you see that story? The <laughs> the potato man. He <laughs> grows potatoes. He was caught growing yeah. cannabis, and he was researching medicinal cabinet, can, <laughs> cannabis. Yeah. Um, there's nothing that, like yeah. he's not doing much harm. Yeah, exactly. Come on, Tony. He grows potatoes for a living, yeah. and he's testing out would medicinal cannabis yeah. work in Ireland. Let Tony do it. It's, he's not. He could be doing a lot worse. Exactly. So let's common sense approach here. Yep. Legalize cannabis. Leave the other stuff for another day. Yeah, totally agree, Luke. Uh, to bring up another um, contentious uh, <laughs> issue that was raised, it was raised by Chris underscore Burke eight eight nine, and he actually raised two issues that are quite contentious. Uh, the first one he raised was Minister for Children, mm. and the second one he raised was wearing masks on public transport. I like to start with the latter because I think that is something, in my opinion, that is obvious. I think everyone needs to 
wear a mask. We're, mm-hmm. we're in a global pandemic right now. We're dealing with uh, the the issue, the, the challenge of tackling this global pandemic. So we have to do all that we can, all that is within our power to ensure that it does not spread. Mm. So I think wearing a mask, according to a multitude of health officials across the world, the World Health Organization, it's a more, most prudent, practical step that ordinary people can take towards eliminating the virus from society for good. So I think that is something that we should be doing. What do you think? Absolutely. Our, our producer, James, actually wants to come in there. You, In regards to face masks and wearing them, do you know, people make such a big deal out of it. Mm. Do you know, it's only, do you know, oh, I don't know, because it looks weird on me or whatever. <laughs> there, there's no point, you know, do you know, everybody's wearing one. It's not like you wore it 10 years ago and everybody goes, oh, Jesus, what's this each wearing a mask for? <laughs> But now it's going to be nearly part of our society. Mm. You know, COVID is not going anywhere anytime soon until they have some kind of vaccination. Mm. And that could be anywhere between a year and two years. Yeah. I don't know why people are complaining about wearing them. Yeah. Mm. You know, it's no big deal. And what the government put into, into effect uh, wasn't on a Monday that it's compulsory yeah. mm. to wear a mask, which I think is a, it's a fairly good idea. And it's the only way to actually people to get to wear them. There's no point saying, oh, it's, ad- it's advisable to wear a mask mm. because people are just going to go, it's only advisable. We don't have to. But as soon as they put a two grand fine in there and six months in prison, mm. people listen. Yeah. yeah. And I think if people would have listened at the first stage, this, this wouldn't have come into effect. Yeah. Of If put a, people would have listened to the advice at the start, this wouldn't have happened. There mm. wouldn't be a fine and there wouldn't be a, a six months in prison sentence depending on the issue. Mm. So, you know, it needs to... I don't know what the big deal is yeah. about wearing a mask. Yeah. James, you know what's funny, uh, lads? Um, some of the people that complain <clears throat> are th- just these contrarian, conspiracy theorists, constitutional e, <laughs> yeah. constitutionally people that talk about rights and talk about rights mm-hmm. being impinged and the right to th- do this and the right to do that. Oh, it's an enumerated, it's out in our constitution, but it's something that is found in civilized societies. Bloody da da Well, just... when you say that point, Eric, we can all think of one particular person that has been in mainstream media. Tell us. Through this. Tell and I us. think I think Luke, we can name we can name Gemma O'Doherty oh. and John Waters. <laughs> God. Okay. You we did can it. we can name these people because you're pretty much put them down to a T. The name that cannot be spoken. Yeah, yeah. James said it. Me and Eric didn't didn't yeah, say it. It wasn't us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, it wasn't them. You can blame me. You can... <laughs> But yeah, you know, people like that, and I think the gemodarities of society definitely exploit that feeling from people, mm. those sentiments about how we have to have the right to do this, that, and the other. Yeah. And that is what how they build their uh, terribly bad base. <laughs> it's just an ideolo- ideological, um, I think, tendency and fetish for a lot of these people, mm. which is wrong. Um, so yeah, Luke, do you want to finish? Yeah, on look, this I point? just agree with everything you've said. I mean, yeah. wear a mask. If everyone wears a mask, you'll save lives. If you don't wear a mask, you're risking people's lives. It mm. makes sense. Like you said, James, I think we need to applaud the government on this one. Mm. They've made it compulsory on public transport. Uh, six months in prison or €2,500 fine is the is the possible consequences of it. So that's really good. And I know this evening they were discussing extending that to shops and indoor mm. areas as well. So, yeah, it's common sense. It's going to save lives. Mm. So the likes of the lady you mentioned... Um, just cop on mm. and save lives. You're not being a patriot by risking Irish people's lives, That's honey. It. So That's let's just cop ourselves on a bit and let's, wear a mask. Let's, let's cop ourselves on, Luke Casterly. Yeah. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> Going to the next topic that Mr. Chris underscore 
Burke 8-9 mentioned. <laughs> it was about the Minister for Children. So Roderick O'Gorman was the, is the newly elected Minister for Children, and he landed himself in a model, or at least he was pushed there by many people in the virtual world, because um, apparently he met someone called Peter Tatchell, mm -hmm. and uh, he made some comments in the 90s about how the age of consent needs to be lowered. Uh, and because he was seen in a picture with this gay rights activist, who Roderick O'Gorman then later said that he didn't know much about, um, he was criticised heavily by people mm. online in addition to the to that people found some tweets that he retweeted and tried to use that to mm. sort of defame his character um in in a in a in a disrespectful way in my opinion i think one thing that we see in these times is many people make arguments and mouth their ar arguments with prejudices whether it's racial prejudices or uh prejudice, prejudices that pertain to sexuality many people have just been masking it with a veneer to make themselves look like they're concerned about a noble cause but in actuality they're not so that's how i feel about the roger gorman case i think it's sad that it happened i, I don't think he deserved it from people who know him that i've spoke to because he's a lecturer at dc or he once was he's a nice man mm -hmm. so uh, i hopefully i i think he i hopefully he has a very successful term and i wish him all the best of luck with government mm -hmm. what do you feel how do you feel about the issue yeah this this is just it, it's a crazy story because it was used and manipulated by the very people, the very lovely people we spoke about mm. earlier. People who just want to disrupt, manipulate and spread hate. Mm. Um, Roderick O'Gorman came out and said that he got in a picture with Peter Tatchell at a Pride March a few years ago. That was the one time he met him, mm. posted that picture um, on Twitter. They found it and suddenly he supports everything Peter Tatchell mm. ever said. Peter Tatchell himself said... That article in the 90s, whatever about the age of consent, I, I said, I think he distanced, like he said, he doesn't agree with those comments anymore. Mm. This was just an attempt to spread homophobia and mm. um, to target Roderick O'Gorman because of his sexuality. And um, just like the previous Minister for Children, Catherine Zapone was targeted by the very similar people mm. because she was a lesbian. Yeah. Um, and I think, to be honest, um, it happened. It is. Uh, and the abuse that he got on social media was crazy. Yeah. And the people who support it, um, John Connors, I'm going to name him, supported the Hands Off Our Children march against calling for the resignation of Roderick O'Gorman. It's disgraceful because you're being manipulated, you're manipulating other people to cause hysteria that just doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, so Roderick O'Gorman, by all accounts, is a great person yeah. and I wish him the very best as Minister for Children. I know he'll do great. Mm. Um, and I think the less I give people who spread that hate, the better. Um, and I hope that's the end of it. Yeah, I hope, I hope so too. So I'm going to get on, Luke, to the last two issues, which were raised by Oren K. Johnson. And the first one was the reforming of the second level um, system, so the second level education system. So this is something that we'd be fairly adept uh, with mm. when it comes to understanding the second level education system and wanting it to be reformed. Uh, Luke currently is the deputy president of the Irish Second Level Students Union, which is an organization that tries to uplift the represent students. I was once the equality officer of the of the organization. So we understand the issues that many second level students face and want corrected and rectified. So this definitely is an issue that people want to be addressed, mm. hopefully by the government. So what do you think of that? Yeah, 100%. It's great to see it in the program for government, actually. And uh, um, thanks, Oren, for raising that because it's perfect for us, I think. Mm. Um, I think anyone who's gone through the second level system knows that it needs to be reformed. Um, the Leave Insert was first sat in 1925. Mm. Uh, and since then, it really hasn't changed that much. Um, it's a system based entirely on rote learning, pretty much, mm. um, save for a few practical elements. Um, and in the 21st century, I just don't think that makes sense. 
Um, the, it makes sense to move towards continuous assessment. Um, it makes sense to nurture creativity um, and alternative education and not rote learning languages and subjects that once you leave secondary school, that will be really of no benefit to you. In the programme for government, there is a commitment to hold a citizens' assembly citizens' assembly on the future of primary and post-primary education, which is great. Mm. Um, and I suppose I'd implore the government to include student voice in that process. Mm. Like the ISSU, they, we'd definitely be more than happy to be involved in that. Uh, what do you think about it? Yeah, I think you raise a really uh, important point, Luke. Uh, the point on education. Mm. I think education... Uh, there's many different ways to, to see education and there's many different ways to apply it and teach people. And I think when it comes to the education that we acquire from school, it doesn't necessarily prepare us for the real world, mm. which I think is what school should fundamentally be based upon. Mm. Uh, I think when many people have conversations about this, they'd say that they use a stereotypical argument, why Shakespeare and why not taxes? You know, <laughs> yeah. things like these. <laughs> and I think it's valid. And I think it's something that we need to consider how we're, we live in a very technological postmodern world in many different ways mm. and people are not being uh, prepared for this world people are leaving school not knowing how to do a lot of basic things leaving school and being taught things that they're not going to ever have to apply in their lives mm. it's again the stereotypical niche youth argument according to many people but it's something that stands i think so, something that holds a lot of weight weight and something that we need to consider mm-hmm. uh and pass heed to so hopefully going forward our education system is morphed into one that is student friendly i think this is something that is fun fundamental our the system as it stands is something that is incredibly strenuous Mm -hmm. for many students and that's not how it should be it's like a deterrent to education Mm -hmm. no one should be angry when it comes to going to school to learn learning should be fun as fun as it possibly can be Mm -hmm. at least and i think uh, the education system needs to be a system that prioritizes this prioritizes this and makes this happen in the near future so i'm glad it's in the program for government the citizens assemblies at incredible development Hopefully students are uh, involved in this, as they were in the recent negotiations about uh, implementing predictor grades. So we need more of that. We need more student voice. And yes, uh, that is my opinion on on the issue, Mm -hmm. on the matter. Yeah. I mean, I guess when we look at the schools, we just need to think, why do we send our children to school? Mm -hmm. To educate them or to assess and examine them? And I think if we look at our post-primary system and secondary schools, it's entirely based on exams. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything you learn in class is targeted towards the exam, the leave insert, or the junior cert. Mm. Um, you're not being taught these things mm. to sort of, you know, round you as a person or teach you about the world. Mm. But that should be the priority. Yeah. It's to educate people about the world around them and how they can make changes in their society. Just imagine move that focus from education to from to education from assessing. Yeah. It'd be amazing. So I think let's destroy the leave insert in the lifetime of this government. I think that would be yes. a fantastic achievement. <laughs> let's abolish it. Yes. Um, yeah, I completely agree with you, Luke. So the last issue I'm going to mention, one that is very relevant, one that is pretty humongous, the crisis. Mm-hmm. So this is something that was heavily discussed in the lead up to the general election. It was heavily discussed during the lifespan of the general election. And now after the general election, it is still being talked about. So what we've seen and to deal with this issue mm-hmm. during um, this COVID-19 phase is um, a meritorium for eviction. So that's a prohibition when it comes to eviction. So landlords have not been allowed to evict their tenants uh, because they want to, of course, protect the rights of tenants. Uh, We've also saw uh, uh, a freeze in rents, which is something Mm -hmm. that is is pretty uh, incredible. This is a heavily discussed issue, rent freeze. So just to explain that for people that may not understand that, if the idea that rents should be frozen at one level, so they cannot be raised by landlords. People think that raising it, a lot of people argue that raising it 
is exploiting the tenants and puts shifts them in a precarious position where they cannot pay their rents to have the right to live in a house. So me personally on this issue, there are many, many different ideas and uh, views when it comes to defenses. Me, I, I'm just to let everyone know, I'm a law student. So in the world of law, people discuss this a lot also. The competing rights are the rights of the tenant and the rights of the landlord your private property lands and the rights and the rights of the tenant. And in the Constitution, it does says, say that the rights of a private uh, individual in society who owns property can be infringed if it is for the common good. And I think when it comes to the housing cri crisis, it can be argued that it is for the common good mm -hmm. to freeze rents. It is for the co uh, common uh, good to impinge the rights of the property owner just for the sake of dealing with the housing crisis. Now, again, Many different views. Many people argue that it hasn't worked in many different regions across the world. Mm. In Berlin, I know they're currently a rent freeze. Apparently, they once tried something that is like a rent freeze and it failed. So there is no guarantee. What do you think about the issue? I'm sort of uh, ambivalent when it comes to it. I don't have a def definitive stance. So what do you think? Yeah, I'm the same. Look, it's such a complex issue that I don't know what would work. Mm. But what's certain is that the... That, look, the biggest stain on the last government was probably their record on housing mm. because we saw record levels of homelessness in the country. Um, and that's probably my big, biggest criticism of the last government. Yeah. It's a stain on their government. Mm. Um, and we need to take radical steps mm. to alleviate this problem and to put people in houses. Mm. And if something like a rent freeze, as you said, which would be constitutionally in the common good, mm. would fix that, I'd 100% support it yeah. because we need to see radical changes as soon as possible. Um, I know this go new government has committed to building 50,000 new social houses in the lifetime of the government, which will be brilliant. Um, I know Sinn Féin had a similar target. Yeah. So if they can do that, fair play to them. I'd, I'd love to see what Sinn Féin's reaction would be, yeah. um, because that would be great. And it, look, it shouldn't be such a partisan issue either, no, that it's Sinn Féin versus Fianna Fáil. Just, just build houses, because yeah. that's what needs to happen. Yeah. Um, and I hope that can happen. Uh, interestingly as well, there's a commitment to have a referendum on housing yeah. it's kind of ambivalent they don't know what it's going to be on particularly mm. um in the lifetime of the government mm. so if that would strengthen the status of the probably the renter mm. um that'd be great i'd love to see that happen as well yeah so would i i think again there's a wide range of views on this issue many people argue that we need more houses we do about also many people talk about how there are houses that are not filled mm -hmm. that people need to fill that the, the, the doors need to be open for people so that they can fill the houses so mm -hmm. There are many different things and steps and approaches that need to be take, uh, taken at once. Mm -hmm. And as you said, this should not be an ultra-politicized issue. It, uh, this affects lives. We have a homelessness crisis. All parties should be able to come together in a bipartisan way mm -hmm. to take a bipartisan step towards tackling these issues. I think climate change is another issue that I think should not be politicized. There are many issues in society. The political parties should be able to stand up and say, hey, we're going to deal with them without criticizing you mm -hmm. because we understand you're trying your best. But this would be better. I know that's not in the nature of a political party that's in the opposition, but we need to see more of that from the government and from Sinn Féin as they're in the oppos opposition. So, yes, I completely agree with everything you've had to say thus far. Well, um, we've probably come to the end. We have come to we the have. end of our very first episode, Eric. It's, it's been fantastic. I'm really looking forward to the next episode because mm -hmm. it's going to be even more fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, a big thanks to the St. Joseph's Family Centre here in Longford who've let us use one of their lovely rooms to record this episode. Thank you to all of you for tuning in. Thank you. And uh, Eric might tell you to follow us on social media and stuff like that too because that's important. Yeah, very important. So please follow us on Instagram. Our, add our tag. Our username is political 
underscore incorrectors. Please follow us on Twitter. Our username is incorrectors pod. And you can also find us on Facebook at the political under on uh, the political incorrectors podcast. So please uh, get at us uh, on, on social media, follow us and make sure to keep up to date with everything we put out there. We will have another episode to you very, very soon. So you need to follow us and get to know when that episode is going to be released.